Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. and made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. the Brucklery Podcast with my good friend and producer Ari David. Always a pleasure. We, uh, we, we have toward this end of this year, 2015, uh, a very great movie to talk about called Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Um, now, the reason why I bring this up um, is because it, it, it brings into clear focus a, a much larger question, which is what movies do really well? And when you see, when you actually kind of drill it all down, and I'm sure there's an exception here or there, although it's hard to think of those exceptions, virtually every movie that does truly well has, at its core, a conservative message, or at the very least, does not have a liberal message. Okay. So what do I mean by that? Let's let's talk uh, details. You have movies, for example, like Back to the Future, which my kids love, and I and I love too. It's a movie about standing up to bullies, right? You just got to fight back, right? And also, you are in control of your own destiny. You are in charge of your own life. It's a, it's a movie really about individualism, right? That's a conservative message. Um, and then you have all these kids' movies. Um, the Lion King, one of my very favorite uh, Disney movies. And I, and I think for a very good reason why it remains probably the most successful of the Disney movies. Even though it's, it was in a cartoon format, not the Pixar animation format that you see now. And even those are pretty conservative, so don't get me wrong. But Lion King is especially conservative. There you have a, you know, the young lion, Simba, who you know, is trying to run away from his problems. And he's, he's told Akuta Matata, you know, don't worry and all that stuff and just ignore the past. And no, they're saying you have to embrace your past. You have to accept your past. You have to, you have to deal with your past. And you also have to assume responsibility. It also talks about the separation of good and evil. The hyenas and the lions should not have to be together. And, and Uncle Scar, who becomes the king of the jungle, uh, of, of, the, of, the, of the pride, I suppose, he talks about this great glorious day where now hyenas and lions will live side by side, right? And we know that's messed up. <laughs> we know that's a bad thing. Like like human waste and vintage wine. Yes. Side bad. by side in a single vat. You'll love it. Bad, yeah. bad. No. That's right. <laughs> so true. Bad idea, right? <laughs> okay, so so but but and I can go through a lot of the other Disney movies and explain why as so many of the messages there are really conservative. Now, some of them don't really scream conservative values. Um I think I'd be hard-pressed, for example, in Toy Story, which is certainly a very successful movie, to say there's a very strong message about uh, letting the market go free. You know, <laughs> No, it's not, right? But there is a message of loyalty. There's a message of you know, being responsible and such. Of family. The toys are the kids' but family. That's right. They're extended family yeah. that reflect his values. But a liberal will say, come on, Barack. Come on, Ari. You know, we're not against family. We think it's great. You know, I have my own family, and we're all liberal, and... You know, we understand what works in society. To which we'd respond, 
Yeah, you seem to understand that, but you you seem to be also working for the utter destruction of the thing that you claim to understand. Right, you're just fine for your family, but what about the black kid living in the inner city who has to go to a bad government school where he will then wind up broken apart from his family or find his new family in prison? That's right. It's it's really a shame, and uh, but but so many of the movies, children children's movies and otherwise, if if it's truly successful, analyze it and ask yourself, is it a conservative value that's really being preached here? Because chances are that it is. Or at the very least, it's not at all a liberal value that's being advanced. Okay. Uh, another great example, probably one of the best examples I can think of now that I think of it is uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Here's a movie about a, a girl who wants to get married and a man who wants to marry her. And she's kind of a simple-looking girl, and the families have to kind of get together and work it out and such, but this is what she wants. She wants to look pretty. She wants to be the best she can. It's, a, it's an awesome movie. And it's not... I, I'll tell you what it's not about. It's not about two lesbians... And the joy that they find in each other. It's not about uh, two men or, or, or three men and, and how incest can be a good thing, for example. There's no, it's not like that. I can name a couple of movies where there's incest is intimated. Uh, I can name uh, that you might recognize. Um, the Cider House Rules, for example. That's a movie where it more or less promotes the notion of abortion. Um, notwithstanding that there is a, a foster home. Uh, what do you call it? An, an orphanage. That's, that's involved. Um, but that somehow abortion is totally appropriate in, in many circumstances. And it sank like a torpedoed battleship at oh, the yeah, box it, office. It did very poorly. And, and you know what? Let's take one of the great liberal filmmakers in the Michael Moore cloud of, of celebrity pantheon. Pulp, um, Quentin Tarantino and his greatest movie, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. What are the big messages of that? Oh, I love Number that one. Movie. Yeah. One of the hitmen finds God, yeah. finds God, right. and retires because he saw a miracle and he's decided to change his ways. Yeah. And the guy who doesn't gets killed. Right. And then people who are so horribly evil, one person is worse than the other, worse, and finally the other, they encounter Zed, the worst of them all. And they are all changed and become better people from their encounter with Zed. Marcella swears off revenge against Butch, who yeah, no, you, him you, over you, because yeah, yeah, yeah. He, can, he, sees, go on. he sees the face of true evil. I'll do, I'll do you one better. I, I, I agree with everything you said. But remember, there's one very important aspect of the movie that, that we're glossing over right now. And, and you'll recall that one of the biggest elements of this movie is that there are different scenes that are out of time, right? The sequence is all off. And it you wonder to yourself, why the hell is this happening, right? Is it just an artistic form of expression, or does it mean something? You know, it's, it's, this is not, you know, one of the famous lines from uh, cinema, cinema is, sometimes a toilet is just a toilet. It doesn't have meaning, right? And you can look at that and say, oh, well, that's, that, that toilet's there in reference to such and such poem. No, the director simply said, uh, well, there needs to be a toilet here because it's a bathroom for crying out loud. So... The, the, the expression sometimes a toilet is just a toilet is a very appropriate expression. However, sometimes things something is so screaming at you that you, you have to ask your, yourself the question, well, they did this for a reason, this time thing out of sequence. And it's to me, it's very obvious. It's about how a life of crime is circular. It ends up nowhere. That you don't know where time begins and time ends. You, you don't... You're not ending up anywhere. And the one person who does end up somewhere is the Samuel Jackson character because he leaves it. You, you have this sense upon watching that movie that he's kind of leaving this bizarre, awkward sense, and he's off on his own. He's going to find his own timeline, if you will, right? And, and he even says so in the movie. He said, you will never find direction. And that's what that movie, it was. that's why the whole out-of-sequence timing thing was all about. And, and why I agree with you 100% that this is a conservative message. It's a conservative movie. It's, it's everything before the randomness, like they, they can't deal with the, the, the kid that they kill by accident, with the, you know, and the, they have to clean up the car and everything else. And uh, the crazy heroin scene where she um, 
She G-O-T-S, snorts heroin yeah. instead of yeah. cocaine. And, and all the, the madness that goes on there, it's all wackadoodle. It's all random. And that's what it's about. Yeah, and then yeah. there's another little piece of conservative values, which is the, the married woman does not wind up being uh, unfaithful to her husband. And neither does the guy who's the hitman. Even he had honor, and they, they realized yeah, no matter that's how true. much they were attracted to each other. It's not as big of an issue yeah. as the, the, the time sequencing for the, for the effect. But the general point is, no matter how liberal the filmmaker is to make a great movie, the film will invariably have strong conservative values. Yeah. It must. Let's talk about Star Wars. Now, before we t- continue further on Star Wars, it's important to remember that we're going to give a lot of spoiler uh, spoilers here. So we're, we're basically going to be talking about a lot of issues in the movie. So if you want to, uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want us to spoil some of the surprises in the movie, then by all means, you know, maybe skip or whatever. Well, let's just let me just add: make sure you see it in a high dynamic range or high dynamic, yeah, high dynamic range uh, visual broad um, presentation. Do not see it in 3D, and make sure you see it in Dolby Atmos sound. Other than that. Don't see the 3D version. 3D sucks. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, listen to this episode after you've seen it, if you haven't seen it. All right. There you go. All right. So, Star Wars. This is a movie that, of course, has done very well. And I'm, I'm excited when a movie does well. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, my brother used to be a movie critic. And, of course, he, he would go to all these movies, and he would never have to pay for it. And uh, they would wine and dine him and, and such. And I would say, oh, gosh, you know... For you, I suppose it doesn't matter whether the movie is good or bad. You just kind of see the movie, and and uh, you don't have to pay for it, and they take care of you. They fly you out to see the movie and everything else. How cool. And he said, well, let me ask you, Barack. What would you rather see, a good movie or a bad movie? <laughs> and I said, a good movie? <laughs> he goes, of course. I want to see a good movie. Everyone wants to see a good movie, even if it's for free, even if you're wine and dined in the, in the process. Of course you want to see a good movie. So on the one hand, from a selfish point of view, I love to, to see a great story because I'm going I'm to have fun by watching it, right? The second reason and the more macro reason why I enjoy a good movie is because I think it's part of our human core to love stories. You brought this up, all right. So it's one of the many things um, that we, we sometimes talk about, about the differences between us and the animals. And you brought up this point that I never even thought about, and, but I definitely put it in my list, that we humans have a compelling need for stories. And that makes us different than the animals, right? Among, among 25, 35, probably 505 differences that uh, we could think of with the animals. I read books to my cat and never had an effect. <laughs> never had, for some she reason. She could do a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> never got a story. <laughs> Stories are powerful, and so something resonates with us. It, they're archetypal. They they connect with us in a way that that uh, just being told something doesn't really connect. Okay, and Star Wars is a good story, and I put it to you just like we said before that all good movies and all good stories for that for that matter, the reason why they are good is because they actually express a conservative value. Now this Star Wars movie. And here come the spoilers. It, it talks about a time 30 years after Return of the Jedi. And things have fallen apart in the galaxy. And yet another evil uh, enterprise called the First Order has taken over. And uh, it's run significantly by the grandson of Darth Vader, who is, yes, the son of Han Solo and Leia. And this son, he... He just doesn't have the, uh, uh, the wherewithal to join the light uh, side of the force. He instead resonates with the dark side of the force. Well, he tried the light, or they tried to teach him, but he decided, I like the other side better. Right. And the point is, they didn't teach him well enough. They didn't teach him history. And this is a point that you made, Ari, which is, you know, one of the things that we love about being conservative, and one of the obligations about being conservative, uh, is to understand history, to, to love history, but also to understand it and to teach it over and over again. In much the same way that a, a, a Bible enthusiast, like you and I are, we learn from what King David did and didn't do. 
we learn from the jealousies and mistakes of Joseph and his brothers, right? We, we, we cry when we hear the suffering of the Jews uh, during the time of Pharaoh and how Moses had to you know, deliver them out of Egypt uh, with, with God. Uh, these, are, these are things, the stories that resonate with us. And they're resonant with us because whether we realize it or not, they are conservative values. So, and, and history is so part of our, our core. I mean, when you talk to conservatives, one of the, I mean, it, it seems so obvious now that I say it, but, but I guess it's not obvious. Every conservative that I talk to, they love history. Do you notice that? Not only that, when you talk to a conservative, they generally remember Almost any subject. If I talk to a conservative sports fan and I talk about, say, the 1983 Raiders, they yeah. remember Marcus That's Allen. right. That, when I talk about the 1998 Yankees, they remember Derek Jeter. They remember right. things. And, and they'll say it in the context of, it ain't, it, it's just not the same as it used to be, for example, or maybe things are better. Who knows? But they'll remember, they'll put themselves in context, in perspective to what it, the way it once was. Um, whether to use your football analogy, um, where you know back in the 1920s and such, you know the men wore these more leather-oriented hel- helmets that were softer, and there was a different kind of game played altogether. And uh, and then of course you can talk about history in the terms of the the American Revolution, the Civil War. These are very important things. This is a topic I will be talking about on my Sunday show about who who forgets who wants to forget history or at least alter history more the, the the conservatives or the liberals the liberals do of course they they stand the most to gain by pretending as if history didn't happen and their record in history is so obscene the yeah. only way they can justify their philosophical existence in the present is by rearchitecting the entire historical record right exactly all right so back to star wars because uh, it's such an important scene there's a scene where um, the Han Solo character uh, now wants to reach out to the um, Ky- Kylo character. I think that's the name of, of the son, or the son's real name is Ben. And uh, Ben has, wants nothing to do with Han Solo. He treats him just as a person, and he tells his master um, uh, the, the, the new, you know, the equivalent of uh, um, Palpatine. The emperor. The emperor, yeah, yeah the new emperor. That he means nothing to him, and that he's happy to kill him. And they meet on this bridge, and Han Solo says, "I want you to come back. You know, you know, it's not too late." And the son says, "And you, you think that he's going to do it? He's going to join the, the light side?" And he just he misses it so much. He's making conversion. And and when I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh, this seems so fake. This is so. Uh, this is really disappointing." And then, of course, what he really wants to do is to kill Han Solo, and he does. He he holds the the lightsaber in such a way that they pre- when he presses it on, it, it goes right through Han Solo, and Han Solo dies. He's shocked, of course, in the process. And what is very meaningful to me is that the even as Han Solo is falling over the bridge to his death, um, what does he do? He doesn't express anger at his son. He doesn't take his son down with him because, you know, he has the opportunity to take his son down with him and maybe stop the evil that his evil that his son has become. Instead, what does he do? He puts his left hand up to his son's right cheek and as if to try to remember him the way he was. This is the way he wants to remember him. And maybe to maybe even leave a message with the son. And I think it's a powerful one. Like this connection of family is so powerful that, that he's resonating to the good side of the, of the, the child. And then, of course, he falls and he dies, and, and Kylo seems to be unaffected. But I, I'm quite sure that in the future episode, there will be a reference to that moment where, you know, my father held me in the cheek. Something changed in me at that moment, and I knew I had to approach the light side. But all through the Star Wars movie, this recent one, there is there's a sense of that the past was not taught it was totally forgotten. Yeah. Every, every few lines of dialogue. You're real? Han Solo, you actually existed? I yeah. thought you were a myth. And, and while I was watching, I was thinking, okay, episodes four, five, and six involved the rise of the Jedi, you know, Luke Skywalker, yeah. 
who's obviously became the most famous guy in the galaxy for blowing up the Death Star the first time and defeating the Emperor, Emperor the second time and bringing down the, the evil empire. This is a momentous set of events akin to World War II. And 30 short years later, it's myth. It's yeah. forgotten. The, this girl is trolling the wastes of her desert planet. And littered throughout it are all of these this battle um, mem- um, uh, equipment from ruins. the Empire yeah, ru- ruins, and the yeah. Yeah, Crash Star Destroyers, Crash right. X-Wing Fighters. And she thought this was a myth? Right. The evidence is right in front of her. Yeah, that's right. It's one of the first things you see is that uh, one of those, what we call the standing up machines with my kids, where they, you know, they're stopping. And that is in the first scene of Empire Strikes Back with, you know, the, they have four big legs and such. And uh, oh, the walkers, the walkers, yeah. yeah. And and it's tumbled down. It's always been destroyed, and she thinks nothing of it. And it's just a machine to her. She it has was no just a pers- home to her. She was living in it. Yeah, it was she, a had, hut. she has no perspective of what it, what it means. And and that's what this movie really evokes. And no nobody has a sense of the past. And I tell I, I put it to you that history itself, true accurate history, of course, is a conservative value. History is what makes things good. Or better yet, history is the only thing that can maintain goodness. And history is the only thing we have to teach us what either worked or didn't work so we can make the correct decisions for our own futures. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and you see the struggle in this movie, Star Wars, where people are like... They don't. They don't have a sense of of what happened once upon a time. Only a select few apparently remember. And even Harrison Ford, at one point, he says, "It's true, all of it. It was all true." And they 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 just. It, it's like they blows their mind. It's it, the equivalent of that today would be for us to tell uh, people that there was once this huge war, uh, it, whether the Civil War or World War II, for that matter, or the American Revolution where so many people died for the freedoms that we now enjoy. It's all true. It's all true. Oh, the one that is real, that I yeah. couldn't help the analogy of, the Cold War. Yeah, that's You mean right. there was a guy named Reagan who ended this thing without a shot? No way. Yeah. Or it's not end without a shot. Yeah, they, they don't, people don't talk about the Cold War. They, it's as if it's... Uh, didn't happen. It didn't happen. They just... They, they, in the 30s and the 40s and 50s, well, that was just... You know, they know that there was a time before. They understand that. But their understanding of the past is only that the the cars looked different and there were no iPhones. Okay? And, and that's about it. And the telephones looked a little bit different, and too. everyone was lame and all the white people had all the stuff. And right. it was unfair. Yeah. That, that's, that's what they're taught. That's history yeah. today. And, and, and for parents... You know, it's funny. I, I watch... Um, uh, old westerns and such about about uh, about the history of the West and such like that and I and I know a lot of my fellow parents in the schools and such you know they'll see an encounter there's a black man in the in the movie or a TV show as the case may be and they'll they'll be dismissive to that black man and the parents the one thing that the parents will talk about is about how bad it was to be a black person back then and that's the whole focus that's the only thing that we'll actually say about that time period instead of talking about you know uh, the, the fact that we were expanding out we were uh, engaging in um, exploitation of the land in the most positive way possible that great things happened as a result of the expansion of the United States um, that it was a wild time, but at the same time, it was also a very rugged time, and it was it actually ad- helped identify us as Americans. And it wasn't a wild time. It was an extremely polite, civil time. Yeah. The reason the criminals like Sundance Kid or whoever... Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid were famous is because they were rare. Yeah, they, they stood out. That's right. Doc Holliday and such like that. That's a good point. And, and, but it, it was... People went out there for a reason, not because of the danger, but because of the opportunity. And then there's the gold rush and everything else. What a time to live. It was actually very exciting for a lot of people. And, and so it should have been. But what I'm saying is that, that people look at this. They, they hear something about the Wild West, and they, and they will only talk about how bad it was for the black person. And so, look, if, if that's all you teach your kids, 
Well, guess what? That's all they'll take in. They won't understand by themselves. Well, you know, dad and mom can't be taught telling me everything, so I'm going to really read about it myself. No, they're going to take in what you tell them. And likewise in Star Wars. You see, even the main characters, they don't understand why they are where they are. They have no sense of themselves. Oh, there's one who does. Remember how the, the pilot Poe, his father taught him. Yes. Okay, but, but the I'm, other two characters. Yeah, the two main characters. Had, but that's what I want to, I want to talk about, those two yeah. main characters. Um, I, I forget the name of... Oh, uh, Finn. Finn okay. and, uh, Finn and Finn Ray. And, Ray. And, and they were both essentially orphaned in one way or another. Right. But they don't have a sense of their own past, nor the collective past that surrounds them. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, Finn comes from, uh, he's a storm ship a storm trooper. trooper. He's a storm, a storm trooper, right? And uh, he's wearing the clothes, but obviously he's not the same guy, but the same as a storm, storm trooper because I guess he's a re-manifestation Well, they of it. explain it that in the old days they were clones, the old storm trooper. Okay. And in these, and it was an important line, that's why I'm interrupting yeah. you on it, the, the commanders of the Empire say, we did conditioning to make sure they were loyal, meaning... Obviously, they were taken away from their family and brainwashed. Right. The, the yeah. family had no chance of teaching him history right. in Finn's case. Right. And so uh, these were just kidnapped kids, and they have no, like you said, no chance. And they, they never bothered to ask why. Why are we here? I mean, and, and likewise for the girl, Ray, she, does, she also doesn't know. All she does is collect scraps. And upon my second view of the movie, there was a very good scene. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a very quick, notice, noticeable scene. She is taking some scraps and she's hawking them for some money, right, at a pawn shop. Yeah, for food. And she takes these scraps that she knows are useful, and you see her going to this place and she's cleaning it, right? And and she looks up at one point and she sees an, an old woman doing exactly the same thing. And she realizes, am I going to be like this woman for the rest of my life? Yeah. Is this how I'm going to end up? And, and you can see, I want something better. It, it comes to her mind, and it changes her a little bit. But it was a very nice little scene there. And, and there, talking about the continuity of time and, and, and such, she found herself stuck in this kind of circle, and she wants out of that. So I, I love that part of it. I think it was a very strong uh, element of this movie. And that the bringing back of history is very powerful. And at the very end, of course, she's the one who delivers the lightsaber to the Mark Hamill character, Luke Skywalker, to, to, to reignite the, the light side of the Force, to, to bring it back. To awaken it. Yeah, to awaken it. And, and it's a nice phrasing that the Force awakens. It's all about history awakening yet again. Yeah, because what you saw in the in the battles between Jedi and, if you will, practitioners of the right. of the dark arts is there aren't Sith, there aren't. It's a different kind of order. No, no one is practicing it well. Kylo Ren was clearly trained by Luke, and they explained that he broke away and started going in his own way, and Luke gave up on him and all that. So he knows the Force. He's very powerful with the Force, but he only knows it in a um, sort of a cursory, shallow, superficial way. Right. And he won't really learn it. He's just sort of using it to bully people. Right. And there's an interesting element of Star Wars that they didn't really get into, but I know it from my understanding of Star Wars at a deeper level. One of the, uh, in the first three movies, the tests of becoming a Jedi is you have to assemble your own lifesaver. And Kylo Ren's lightsaber has those weird ventings on the side of it yes. that look like arm guards. And if you notice, it doesn't hum and have the really bright uh, white-hot core. It's a messed-up lightsaber. It doesn't really work right. Yeah. He never learned how to make a good one. All right. But the okay. point is, he never. they're not practicing the Force well. So at the end, when Ray gets to Luke and gives him his old lightsaber back, you can tell him the next movies, it's going to be all about... Or the real training, learning it for real. Yeah, and, and I like that very much. The and we both like that. There's a sense of, like again, awakening. And this reminds me of a very powerful point: the tea party. Okay, the tea party is an awakening yes. of history. That's right. right. It's, and I think that's what why it was such a big threat to the liberals. It is right? a big threat. It, it was and, and remains a big threat. This is a, a, a movement that is saying, 
we need to go back to history. We need to learn from history. We need to, and they're basically telling us, guess what? It's all true. The, the George Washington and the founding fathers and the, the guiding principles of the Constitution and how they are everlasting and its values, these are not quaint old documents that we want to relegate to the past. No, sir. These are very valuable lessons that we must learn, and we want to bring them back. We want to bring back people who have that same message. Give me liberty or give me death, right? That's what we want, uh, that, that no man... Uh, shall be uh, 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 shall be um, sentenced uh, twice for the same offense. That that uh, taxation without representation. These things matter to us, and we we had a, a revolution for that very basis. And then we we fought for freedom uh, with the greatest amount of our men died and dying for it. Six hundred thousand men during the Civil War. That is the awakening that's coming now, and and I'm I'm proud of. The men like Ted Cruz, um, who who really want to reawaken America. Yes, they're unpopular to some extent. Well, why are they? Because, well, it doesn't go along with the establishment. That that bothers them. It bothers, of course, the liberals even more. Because the last thing you want, the last thing they want to bring out is the truth about history. Okay? If you know that, then you know everything you need to know about liberalism. And as my Sunday show will reveal, liberalism at its core, among its many functions, we talk about divisiveness and how it seeks to destroy uh, institutions that we know uh, uh, have have, uh, made our civilization move forward. They also seek to erase history because history is their enemy. History proves that conservatism works and that liberalism has always failed. Not sometimes, not most of the time, but always has failed. All right, well, Star Wars was a lot of fun, but I think part of it was, it, it, just, it just brought out the best in all of us. It, it made us realize how we need to be vigilant, how we need to remember who we are, and remember the core values that we know work. This is Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Um, so a, a little development has occurred recently in uh, New York. The state of New York has passed a law that says that, uh, that's right, you guessed it. I mean, the, the obvious law, the law that you, you know, finally needs to pass, right? It's, it's one of the great loopholes of our society mm-hmm. that's finally being addressed. What is it, you ask me? I'm talking, of course, about the need to pass a law that when you refer to a transgendered person by the wrong pronoun, well, you need to be fined. And fined heavily, thank you very much. Because by golly, 
It's high time that our society got with the program. How much of a fine, you ask? Not $250,000. Thank you very much. That's what happened just recently in New York. Now, this is the kind of fine that you would expect from a dictatorial regime, right, that wants to clamp down on people and make them terrified to live in such and watch their every word and every step. However, however, this is done by a legislator, legislature in New York that ostensibly is saying, well, you know, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pass this because it makes us feel good. So it's not as if anyone, you know, put a gun to their head. It's we who are doing this to ourselves. And that's what concerns me. Okay, so now this, by the way, is on the heels of all the other laws that we talked about before. No one seems to be putting these together. The notion that if you fail to uh, bake a cake or refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding, for example, or provide photography services, or what was the other thing, Ari? Um, Pizza. P- yeah, pizza delivery, I think it was another example. And the example. pizza was just a hypothetical question. That, right. that pizza, no one was going to cater their wedding with pizza yeah, from that's the true. Indian... Uh, oh, the florist. The so, florist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So flowers, uh, baking, and photography services. Okay. So, you know, in each of those circumstances, in different states, uh, those who refused were suddenly um, either fined dramatically or threatened with imprisonment. What a bizarre world. In, in the span of only, what, seven years or so? Five years even? That we could have gone from a, a state where, um, you know, that the notion of gay marriage itself was absurd to suddenly not only that it's the law of the land, but of course it's the law of the land and anyone who thinks differently should be imprisoned that, that's, or, or severely fined at the very least. So, but these two stories don't, people don't seem to be putting these two together, right? They... The issue of the transgender ticket, for example. Now, this one that, that that you refer to somebody as a as a he when he wants to be referred as a she, and or vice versa. Uh, I mean, the wedding cake stuff is bad enough, okay? You, because that's not something that you might do by accident. Like I accidentally refused to to bake a cake for you because of my sincere beliefs against gay marriage, right? It won't be like that. But I could see. Like someone looks at you, recognizes that your outer, you know, appearance is that of a man, and you refer to him in, as as a male. Like, um, you know, how, how did it, how 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 do you feel as a man to to such and such issue? And then he gets really upset, and you realize, oh, I made a mistake. Do, do you get? Do you now have to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to this man? Do you get to say no counties? I didn't mean it. What if you you blurt out the word he when you meant she? As we often do, it's, what's the legal term for it? A, a mistake, right? If you, if you blurt that word out, then is it automatic? Like, what, what, how does it work? Do you have to prove intent? How does that look like in a trial if you actually decide to push it? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I put it to you that when I referred to this woman as a he... Uh, it was a mistake on my part. I blurted it out. I had no malintent in the process. I, I highly doubt that. He's, you know, ladies and gentlemen, do not believe this man. He clearly intended it. Let's look through his uh, Facebook uh, postings and such. This is, this is our future? This is what we want us to be? If you're a liberal out there and you've, you've heard about this, do you think that this is a bridge too far? That's just the question. Email us at Barack at Lurie-Law or info at Lurie-Law.com and let us know whether or not you as a liberal feel that this is too far or just right or not far enough for that matter. I'm, I'm just very, I'm very interested in your opinion about this. But imagine where we're going with this, Ari. What, 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 is, what is to be made about this? Well, uh, two things jump out at me. First of all, the severity of the fines. In the case of the banker, there was, there was nothing in the legal statute of it that said that a $135,000 fine must be imposed. Right. It was the discretion of an administrative bureaucrat. Yeah. And did the bureaucrat have to impose a, a fine that equaled the economic death penalty of the person's finances or business? Yeah. Wouldn't five hundred dollars or seven hundred fifty or a thousand dollars or seventy-five dollars been 
severe enough to send a message, okay, someone wants a cake, I'll bake it, fine. Yeah. Couldn't she have then gone, oh, $135,000, oh, how about I just bake you a cake? Right. And shouldn't the administrator, the, the bureaucrat, just say, oh, okay, sure, eggs, flour, some oven time, you're good? Right. And this $250,000 fine, you know, for, for a wrong pronoun, again, the severity of the fine, I think, gets into the area of, I think it's Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. That's an unusual, Seriously. It's, it's certainly an unusual punishment. And at the same time in this society where so many people who commit heinous murders and rapes, Bill Clinton, and, and other people like that, just walk free as little larks. Yeah. You know, it, your, your point is a good one about um, the, the, the crime, the punishment should be commensurate with the crime, right? So parking tickets is the first thing that jumps out at me. Sometimes you get a parking ticket and you say, ah, crap, it's a $60 parking ticket. For an expired meter. Shouldn't right. you be able to just to send them the 25 cents? Yeah. Uh, or, or, okay, maybe maybe the, the penalty should be 10 bucks. Okay, that's still a, a you know, a, a severe one. percent fine. But, yeah. but whatever, we can quibble about that, whether 60 is the magic number or 10 is the magic number. But we can agree that 6,000 is not, it is way excessive. It's absurd. Yeah. Right? It does not meet the, the, the appropriate penalty. And... In law and in business, we're constantly dealing with this issue. What is appropriate? What is the? Um, there's all sorts of analysis that's done on this. Right in business, I, I have a problem with my own business. You have in yours. What am I worth? Yeah. I want to charge the maximum, but I don't want to scare customers away. Right. And there's always this thing. It's it's a common thing in free markets. What is the right price to charge? Right. Well, what, what I mean, going back to fines, though, what is the? If the whole idea is that you are now expressing your contempt of a certain action or inaction, as the case may be, that therefore the penalty reflects how much of contempt you have for that particular action or inaction. In this case, New York is saying, we have so much contempt for somebody who purposefully, assumingly, I assume that the statute says it's purposefully, so let's just say that, that somebody refers to a he when he wants to be referred as a she, then... Uh, we have so much contempt for that. We want to penalize it very aggressively, and we're sending a signal to the to New York State at large that two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars—that's how bad it is. Okay, this is far worse than, for example, if you fail to pay your taxes. Right? If you don't pay your taxes, the 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 IRS will send you a bill with you know failure to pay penalties, penalties and, and interest and interest. Yeah, and you'll be surprised to know. That it's not that horrific. It's commensurate with the crime, so to speak. And it's and it's proportional to how much you owe. So if you owe billions, it's going to be a lot. Right. But if you owe a couple thousand, you'll just owe a couple thousand more. Right. That's it. Right. And and that makes sense, right? But there are a lot of you know so-called misdemeanor crimes where people uh, wrongfully take monies from from their clients or from their customers, whatever it is. And they say, you know what, you wrongfully took that, and you knew it too, and you should pay back the full amount plus, you know, another forty percent in restitution. Okay, so if you've taken a hundred thousand from your clients at large, well, you're going to have to pay another forty thousand as a fine in restitution for their troubles. Okay, but that's a crime. Okay, right. that's not mispronouncing a pronoun. Yeah, that's <laughs> not calling Caitlin Bruce. Yeah. By the way, I don't call her. I don't call him Caitlin. I call him Bruce. He's Bruce. Okay, yeah, he, he's a he. he is Bruce. He's Bruce, and he's walking around like an idiot. Yeah, and he looks like a. No, not an idiot. If he wants to walk around like that right. to make money for his reality show, that's his business. But to me, he's Bruce. This podcast is not to be played in New York State. <laughs> okay, so anyway, <laughs> you, you understand that this is a problem. Um, this is it's indicative. All of our laws reflect the amount of contempt we have for a certain action or inaction. For example, uh, jaywalking, okay? If you were to say that jaywalking is such a severe issue in this, and, and it's, it reflects the, uh, the concerns of our society so much that we will not only penalize you, we will send you to jail for a year if we catch you jaywalking. And you must be within the crosswalk of the... Uh, and it must be, it can never be when it's red. It always has to be when it's the little white man in the, uh, in the um, pedestrian crosswalk. Yeah, no messing with the flashing red hand. Exactly right. No guess, second guessing. And if that is a reflection of how serious you are about that. But everyone knows, and everyone jaywalks, because it's not treated that seriously. And it's one of those things that we collectively have decided to kind of 
swoop under the rug. It's not strictly enforced. Let's put it that way. Speeding, by contrast, is much more enforced. And running a red light, very much more so. And you can even, even when you, when you speed, you might go 50 miles over the speed limit, but you don't feel that bad about it. You might be pulled over, but you don't feel that bad about it. But every time you cross a red light, you know that society really doesn't like that at all. And that you might be severely penalized for. But the punishment usually is a reflection of how we think about it. So New York is telling us, we think this is so severe that we will penalize you more than had you done many criminal infractions, severe criminal infractions, um, that we will bankrupt you. Yeah, assault and battery. Yeah, is that's a good point. Less. People who play the knockout game get slaps on the wrist. That's right. Oh, very good example. You can literally hit somebody purposefully. Yeah, and leave them with brain a car. damage. Brain damage, yeah. and, and you won't have to pay more than $250,000, yeah. which happens to be the cap in California. Yeah, but California. They've decided, they decided with this to implement an economic death penalty, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, for the, this is what kind of concerns me about how America has changed. I remember when that kid in Singapore received caning for, I don't know, chewing gum or something, or graffiti, if you remember that, about 20 years ago. Right. Caned 12 times, 12 lashes, if you will. And Americans were up in arms that an American would be receiving such a severe penalty for some non, you know, horrible offense that could just be corrected with some turpentine or paint thinner. Right. But now... It's, it's almost like Americans have become so bloodthirsty to implement these kind of penalties the same way they do in Sharia states, yeah. know, where they clamor to see the beheadings or the people get their hands cut off. It's, it's a bizarre world that we live in. Uh, going back to the parking thing, because I, I liked very much, Ari, that you brought this up. Um, imagine, just let's do a thought experiment. Um, some of us uh, park on the street. In fact, I was just with a friend uh, today, and uh, she and I... She realized, oh, you know, I, I need to go back to the parking meter, need to feed the meter, and such like that. But if you know the penalty is only $5, you may very well say, you know what, I'd rather not have to bother to go back and forth. If I get a ticket, okay, fine, it's a $5 ticket. It's not going to break my bank. What if, however, it was $6,000? Okay? And a year in jail. But not even a year in jail. Let's just say $6,000 for the sake of discussion, that even, even if you're a minute over, and it goes red on the meter, you get a ticket, $6,000, period. And, it's, and they'll collect, of course, on you. You're not going to get any parking tickets out there. People will not have parking tickets. People will uh, obey the law very, very strictly. On and they'll, they'll walk miles to avoid parking at meters. That's right. Because you know with the way they have cameras at red lights out the neck, and you know, they have these electronic meters, you know the next step will be I'm simply, I'm, I'm simply saying it affects behavior. Yeah. And in a very dramatic way. Yeah, but I'm just saying, the next step of technology will make it that they don't even need the mater maid to play race with you to get to it. It turns red, takes a picture of the car, sends you a bill. It's coming. Right. You know, that'll come. And at that point, if that were to be in, in effect with these high fines, there'd be no tickets. People would just avoid it. Look, even this. if you said a racial epithet, now that I think about it, um, the, the N-word, the famous N-word, right? If you said that... Uh, even in, in, in passing, even as a reference to a book that, that says that word, then people will jump all over you. But they won't ask you to pay $250,000. Yeah. But, but apparently, if you refer to somebody as a he when she wants to be referred as, to, as a she, then that's worse than being referred to as an N-word. Yeah. And, uh, and all sorts of uh, penalties should be imposed upon you. I wonder. I wonder. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I wonder how it would make somebody who's black feel to know that they treat somebody who refers to a he as, uh, sorry, a she as a he when he wants to be referred to as a she, far more seriously than if somebody says a racial epithet to them. I wonder how that makes them feel. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, an insult. It's a, a it's tremendous insult. insult. The other thing is, think of how floating point this is. Yeah. Remember, the, the whole trans arguments now, the whole Caitlin Bruce continuum, is based on how you feel in the moment. Yeah. So let's say some, I call you uh, he yeah. or him. 
But I would that, hope you do that. But in that <laughs> moment, retroactively, you decide, oh, ka-ching, there's 135 to 250,000 for me. Uh, judge, I felt like a she in that moment. Yeah, that's true. Are you trans? No, I'm not, but I felt that way then. Oh, I have right. no choice. Well, why stop there? All right, I mean, that's, that's a good hypothetical, but why stop there? Why not just say, look, that's what he said. That, as, that's, what, that's what I'm saying is what he said to me about me. Okay? And it becomes a he said, she said sort of thing, literally, yeah. right? <clears throat> he said that I said that, I, that he was a he said, that she was a she said sort of crap. I mean, it's a crazy stuff. It is lawsuit abuse for the plucking. Right. That's the whole point. And then people wonder why we have so many lawsuits. There's so, many, so much opportunity for this. Yeah, and as a lawyer, can you explain to me how this isn't a, a clear First Amendment violation the same way the baking the cake is, is a First Amendment violation of the baker's religious freedom? Yeah. You're, you're, you're limiting speech. And it's the government doing it. It's not like a, I walk into you know the Ajax or Acme Corporation and I do a he or she confusion thing and they kick me out or fire me. They're a private business. They can sat will right. and fun whatever. I, I might have lost my career, but that's it. Right. Not in the whole one hundred thirty-five to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. This is government doing it to me. That's right. When the government makes a law that says that you can, uh, cannot express your religious beliefs or you cannot hold to your religious beliefs because we, the government, have decided that a certain class of people are now um, uh, legally protected in a way so much so that you must do work for them. That's a little bit bizarre. Uh, likewise, with the he said, he said thing that we just talked about, um, <coughs> you, you have um, a person able to be able to say, I, I think you are a man. I don't care if you feel like a woman. I'm sorry, dude. You're a man. You've got Y chromosomes all over you, and uh, and you've got this thing called testicles between your legs. And I, you're a man. Done. And even if you didn't have that, I don't care. You don't have ovaries, and you don't have uh, natural female hormones. You ain't a woman. And I'm sorry for you if you're confused about that. But that's your problem, and not mine. Yeah. And I'm not going to play your friggin' game. So that's 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 what we call. It's a legal term. I mean, I want, I want you to remember this. It's called an opinion. Okay? Very sophisticated term. Uh, Latin-based, no doubt. But nevertheless, uh, it's something that, that is fully protected under the, the Constitution. It's not a defamatory statement to say, <clears throat> that man called, called uh, or who calls himself, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, is in fact Bruce Jenner. I tell you that that man is a man, right? I mean, it's like that famous line from uh, a Shakespeare in Love, you know, when, when all, all the actors were, were, were men, even the, the ones who were playing women. And, and the director is shocked when the Gwyneth Paltrow character, who's been pretending to be a man playing the role of a woman, he points at her and says, that woman is a woman, <laughs> right? And, um, and everyone's so shocked in the audience. It's very funny. But... We're basically saying that man is a man. What's wrong with that? But now you can be sued for that. Now you can be criminally prosecuted, in New York at least. And it won't stop there. Because in their quest to feel so good and so noble and so um, progressive uh, in the ways of appeasing um, uh, the gay community and for that matter all things related to gender, uh, they will make more and more egregious laws, just like this one, to to prove how advanced and how progressive they've become. Yeah, they're so liberal they've become Nazis, essentially. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and and this the idea of freedom is is the very opposite of this. The only uh, reason these people could possibly do this is in order to limit the the amendments in the Constitution that they find inconvenient for their age. Yeah, they they, they talk it a good really talk. Is they know. Yeah, what they're doing. They talk a good talk about uh, free speech and freedom, and, and they mean everything far from it. They, they, the last thing they want is free speech. They want correct speech. No, they want no speech. They want complete, utter silence. Yeah. They want, they, they want us basically engaging in nothing but sign language. <laughs> Uh, well, they, they'd like to whatever, they'd like to repeat whatever they, they want us to repeat. As long as we say what they want us to say, then they're very happy. And then this is the quest that they pursue. They, they do it very well. Um, and, and the part about the transgenderism is 
it's so shocking and that nobody's all up in arms about this. Um, they, they want to advance these policies so much uh, that they don't even think about the consequences of these policies. Not for a moment does anyone think, for example, how might this uh, play out in other arenas? Um, what, what if somebody wants to abuse this um, and, and, and see this as a predatory plaintiff, as they sometimes refer to them in, in law, um, who exploit a situation or just claim that somebody said, he referred to me as a, as a she when, when I'm a he. And by the way, <clears throat> this could, this could uh, apply in any direction, right? I mean, I'm a guy. I'm, I don't have any transgender issues. I'm very clear about the fact that I'm a masculine guy. And at least that's what my wife thinks. And I like to think that I'm the guy in the relationship. But putting, a, put, you know, putting that humor aside, I, I, I'm a guy. I don't, I don't have an issue. Okay? I never once confused myself for a woman. And what if some guy comes up to me and refers to me, you're such a sissy, right? Or you fight like a girl. Or your tasting clothes is like a, a girl. In fact, are you a girl, Barack? You know, that, what, what if he says an insult to me like that? Do I get to now use that, that law against him? If you've got good business sense, apparently. Yeah. So I'll do that. And there, and there are plenty of people saying that. You see, you think that this is somehow applicable only to the transgenders. It's going to come... No, upon us all. It's, it's anyone who yeah. feels offended in this realm. Yeah. And also, isn't it ironic that the very people, they do this all over the place in society, the very people who are most likely to claim that the, and you know this term, the system is broken, do everything they can to throw gasoline on the brake of the system. In other right. words, they don't pass laws that remove frivolous cases from the docket. They pass laws to flood the docket with frivolous cases. Right. Whether they realize it or not, they, they never, they, they talk on the one, one case, on the one side of their mouth saying, we got to stop lawsuit abuse. Justice is, delayed is justice denied. You know, <coughs> right. All that stuff. Right. Right. Well, that, that's actually a nice phrase, but nevertheless, they talk about lawsuit abuse, whatever that means. And then at the same time, they create these laws that they think are so wonderful, not realizing how abusive they actually are. It's kind of like when, when Obama bemoans how all these corporate jobs are leaving America and not, not putting two and two together that the reason why they're leaving America is because of all these regulations that we're imposing on manufacturing in America. So they say, you know what's a good place that doesn't impose as many regulations? China, Korea, Hong Kong, just about anywhere yeah. outside of the United States. And surprise, surprise, they're being shipped overseas is what they say, yeah. right? And the same is true with uh, Obamacare. Uh, they'll, they'll impose Obamacare. They'll say, well, it's not working. They, we must stop the free market from wrecking Obamacare. But it wasn't the free market that was causing the problems. It was Obamacare socialism that was right. causing the problems. And, of course, their prescription is never free markets. It's always more of the socialism that caused the problems in the first place. Yeah. They love these spirals of despair. Just let's start creating more misery, and then when more misery happens, they claim to need to do more things to cause more of the misery yeah. to alleviate the misery. And this is the exact same thing. Rather than, than doing something that would make sense, which is looking at this egregious situation in Oregon with the baker and saying, you know what? Live and let live, free and be free, gay couples can marry fine, but no one should sue anyone for not baking a cake. And here, let's pass a law. Any baker who won't bake a cake for a gay marriage, the gay couple will be told, do you really want them spitting in your cake in the first place? Well, Go to a different yeah, baker. Exactly. Okay, but here's the summary of it all in terms of what you just talked about, the bakery and the gay, and then the transgender thing we just talked about. You see, the thing is, it's not only... <clears throat> it's not only that you should understand that we're going to make gay marriage or t transgenderism uh, acceptable. It's also required that you have to like it. Yeah. Okay? And you have to show that you like it. And you will dance the way we want you to dance. And it's like the old Wild West thing, you know, where, where you, you shoot at the ground to see them dance. Well, they're not really dancing because they want to, right? <laughs> you're dancing because you're forcing them to. And this is the world that we've come to. And it's, it's, a, it's a slow enslavement mentality. You know, we, we, we talk about how America is an evil country because we, we, were, we once had slavery. 
but we're running towards slavery right now. I mean, yes, of course, it's not exactly the same thing, and I get that. And I'll oh, get, yeah, it is. I'll get a couple it's of emails. I'll get a couple of emails from a few people saying, well, how can you make that com- comparison, Mr. Lurie? And I say, look, you know, all good intentions lead to exactly this point. People don't realize how hard freedom is. That the, the very notion of letting go, uh, the very notion of laws is, is so easy. But letting go is not. You ask any parent. It's very tempting. Every single time your, your, your child frets is to give him the lollipop. It's much harder to make these discretionary calls to say, when should I leave my child alone? Let him learn on his own. When? <clears throat> much harder. Um, and the same thing has to be with society. It, it's, it, people can't imagine a world where if you, if you let the things go, well, then won't that be terrible? Uh, who do we trust? And, and people still think that the government provides all. Even Americans think this. They don't, it doesn't enter their mind that local governments, local charities can do stuff. They, they think the whole world will fall apart without the government. So they're unable to even absorb what you just said. Freedom is hard, hard work. And, and for them, the liberals, and I, I like so much what you brought up before, they, 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 they're making these machinations of different laws, right? They think they're doing the right thing, and of course, it always leads to disaster. I always, I, I say to a lot of my liberal friends, I say, you all think the same thing in, in this one sense. It doesn't matter what your level of liberality is. You think that the answer to all those problems is just the perfect blend of laws. Delivered by the perfect group of people. That's the way that they think. And complied with by right. the united colors of Benetton society. Right. And, and everyone will be happy-go-lucky about that. But even under that rubric, let's, let's assume that that's true. Of course it's not. But let's say you could. A perfect blend of laws delivered by the perfect grouping of people. Right? The, the perfect cabinet, if you want to say. The best and brightest. Right, the best and brightest. Harvard. Yeah. Harvard. You just happen to yeah. know everything about demand and supply and this and whatever. <clears throat> okay, fine. That's good for four years. What then? What, what, what sort of system? Because I mean, all you're doing is you're hoping that you'll just keep on delivering you know, a perfect blend of laws that will be delivered by the perfect group of people. But that, there's no such thing, right? There's never a perfect blend of laws, never a perfect group of people. What you do need, what does work, is a perfect process. If you understand the process of checks and balances, then you'll have the most efficient way to the most efficient society, the most charitable society, the most loving society. I find that fascinating. And, and that's what liberalism doesn't get. Conservatism understands it's the process that matters, um, the, the give and take. There will always be idiots. There will always be corrupt people. There will always be greedy people. Liberals think that ultimately the answer will be when we live in a world where there won't be idiots, there won't be greedy, there won't be corrupt. But we know it differently. And this is an example, this law that we just passed, of, of liberalism thinking that it's going to uh, you know, just you know, fashion this one little thing and it'll advance our society just so much better, not realizing how they're just playing whack-a-mole. It'll come up somewhere else and madness will ensue in other ways. And in the meantime, we lose our freedom just bit by bit, ever so slightly, every day and every year. Thanks so much for listening today. This is Brock Lurie, and we'll talk with you next week.
Thank you very much.